Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. <laughs> Welcome to FW Presents, the anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Franklin, and today I will be chatting with one of our brethren, Made Good. He's written tales of the Justice Society, added mystery to the X-Files, rode along with the Ghostbusters, swung with Spider-Man, visited the Planet of the Apes in a certain galaxy far, far away, and chronicled Captain Action's first novel adventure, among many other feats. He's also no stranger to a certain Cape Crusader, having spearheaded and edited the excellent 14 Miles to Gotham City essay anthology book. He is a frequent guest and co-host of John S. Drew's wonderful Batcave podcast, where the two of them are now covering the 1943 Batman movie serial. But he's recently returned to literary explorations of the dynamic duo, editing a new collection of essays covering the first season of the classic Batman television series, Zlonk Zok Zowie, The Subterranean Blue Grotto Guide, to Batman 66 Season 1. Please welcome editor, author, podcaster, and millionaire playboy, Jim Beard. Hi, Jim. Hey, hiya. Hey, you did really well with the uh, title there. A lot of people have been tripping over it, but you you did that very well. I'm <laughs> oh, proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> now, it's it's a mouthful, I'll give you that, but it's it, you'll never forget it. You know, I mean, that's... Good. <laughs> Good, good on all of that. It's yeah, it's it's meant to be. You know, I, I had uh, uh, my uh, podcast partner Fred Lefevre, uh here in my hometown. We do a uh, a podcast together. He, you know, was all over me about that title, and I said, "Dude, I wear that as a badge of honor." If if, if you were grousing about that title, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not, you're not going to, it's like, it's not like Batman episode guide, you know, no, no, this, and it, which it's not anyway, but it's like, it's, uh, you're, you're definitely going to remember the title of this book. If, if, if does long, does long Zog Zowie will stick in your head, if nothing else, you know, so yeah. it's, it's fantastic. So yeah, for- that one's, that one's easier for a lot of people to understand. It's the subterranean blue grotto that I usually, you know, outside of Batman 66 circles that I usually have to explain that one. Well, why don't go ahead and explain it for our listeners that might, might not know while, while, while we're talking. Oh, about okay. And, and, and any, Hey, you listeners out there, it, and I didn't mean to put you down. If you, if you don't know what that means, it's okay. Cause it's kind of a, a, a deep dive, uh, into the show. Um, you're probably aware that in the bat cave in the Adam West Batman TV show that everything is labeled in the bat cave. Why? We're not sure since it's really only three people who are in the back cave, but everything is labeled. Even the drinking water is clearly uh, labeled. But uh, in the background, there was a sign that said subterranean blue grotto entrance, and it, it, point, it had an arrow pointing. We never actually got to see what that actually was, but I always love that, that it was just one of those little details that's in the back 
uh, you know, uh, of the shots. And sometimes they even mentioned it, um, that they actually use that entrance, although we never got to see it. To me, that represents uh, not only a, a deep dive, like I said, into the show, uh, but also f- like physically deep, you know, Blue Grotto. That sounds so deep and mysterious. And that's what we wanted to uh, signal to uh, potential consumers of this book is that this is this is going deep and and f- kind of weird and fun and, and off the beaten path. And that's really important for this book, off the beaten path. Right. Yeah. So I I can't imagine the the subterranean blue grotto. I always thought maybe it's like if if we 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 weren't shown that the bat boat was you know housed at a pier mm-hmm. somewhere outside of Gotham. I can imagine that's where the bat boats docked or something. You know, or yeah, or or there's yeah. some some super secret. Uh, that's where Batman keeps uh, Thomas Wayne's original Batman costume from the. <laughs> <laughs> from the comics well, or something in, in my mind it's it's probably uh like a a, a chamber that has a pool in it mm-hmm. uh blue grotto you know and mm-hmm. um and and the, there there happens to be a small personal entrance there you know not big enough for the batmobile or or anything like that but a uh like a single person kind of entrance um, I just, I just love that. I just think it's so evocative of, of a term, and and it was perfect for this book, this book series. Pardon me. Yeah, well, it's 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 unfortunate that uh, that uh, we didn't get to see it when in the third season when King Tut like uh, mined his way into the Batcave, right? So yeah, <laughs> that's that's the only King Tut episode I like too. <laughs> I love that one too. Yeah. So going back a bit. Uh, based on your resume, we've, we've, you've got a deep love of, of the things that our listeners here also love. So where exactly did this love for genre fiction like this begin? From my earliest years, uh, I was very fortunate uh, that I have a father who loves all that kind of stuff. Uh, My dad is in his 80s now. He grew up at a time of radio shows and pulp magazines and the early years of comic books, the early years of television, uh, all those great, you know, movies from from the 40s and 50s and and music, too. Um, my dad likes a wide variety of of things uh, in pop culture. And I've just been bombarded with them from the moment I, you know, came out into the waking world. And I, I've grown to love all that stuff. And I found that other people around me, especially other kids as I grew up, didn't know that stuff. You know, here's me who I would get a new 1970s comic book at that time, but I loved it if there was a reprint in there, especially those great DC 100-page super spectaculars where you got Batman through the ages. So you got a 1939 story, you got a 40s, a 50s, 60s, and then a brand new 1970s story. I loved all that I've always been a history buff and I always appreciate the role that that history 
has. Uh, and um, again, just, you know, that's totally from my dad always encouraged me to, hey, watch this television show or sit down and watch this movie. Or my, my God, he'd be playing, you know, a Dave Brubeck album or, or Deep Purple hmm. or or, you know, uh, uh, Tammy Wynette or something, you know, and I just I just absorbed all of this stuff. And and and, uh, you know, that's that was his like legacy handing it, you know, to me. That's awesome. Yeah, I I got a similar my my dad wasn't quite as hip to listen to Deep Purple. He listened to Tammy Wynette, but uh, he is kind of similar <laughs> fashion. He would, uh, uh, you know, he had old time radio tapes and uh, he got me to watch Star yeah. Trek and 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 things yeah. like that. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's it's kind of you know, and I guess in a way I've done the same thing with my kids. I've I've turned them on to a lot of you know. I mean, my son's probably one of the the few eighteen year olds who who have seen um, you know all the Universal monster movies. So it's a, you know, <laughs> good. you, you kind of pass that stuff along. So yeah, good. you're a good father. Well, thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's that's yeah. fantastic though. Your dad sounds really yeah, cool. Isn't that boy right? <laughs> So specifically, how far do you go back with Batman? Where did you first encounter that character? It's it's the show. It's the 60s show. Um, I was nine months old when it debuted. I was born in May of 65, and it debuted in, in January of 66. So I was present, but obviously not fully sentient <laughs> yet. But... There's an incredible and, – and anybody who's familiar with my book, Gotham City, 14 Miles, knows this from the introduction to the book. Uh, there's an incredible entry that my mother made in my baby book. And for those of you out there who are not familiar with a baby book, it's literally a book that uh, that they used to have for each child and, and record all different things as the child went from you know zero to – you know, up through grade school, I guess. My mother made a really incredible note in there. At at 14 months old, it said, dances to uh, record Batman. Mm. And I just love that because that is a distilling of what made me who I am today. I can just see my little 14 month old self, uh, prancing and dancing to the, to the Batman record. And I still have that. It's a, it's actually a single a 45 single of the Neil hefty, uh, uh, Batman theme. Um, I mean, that's how far back it goes. That's some of my earliest television memories, uh, is watching the first syndication of that of the show, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 also in Star Trek and all those '60s, those sort of mid to late '60s shows that only you know they blew in, uh, was here for two three years and then blew right past again, and, and then came back right around the turn of the decade into the '70s to um, to go into the syndication, um, so. Also, there were some Batman comics uh, lying around the house, um, and they were a couple of 60s Batman comics that my dad presumably bought for his uh, – for his <laughs> – for my my siblings. My I, I have an older brother and sister. So, again, the show was on. 
the records were playing and the the comic books were lying around. How I how could I not become a Batman fan? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. I I honestly I, it has to be the TV show for me um, uh, in syndication and um, the uh, like the Super Friends was on and. Uh, the, yep. the filmation show and and then like the second filmation show uh and and it was just batman was um you know even though in the 70s there wasn't you know a new tv a new live action version of batman or anything he right. was omnipresent still because right. uh the tv show was so heavily syndicated but that's awesome i love the the idea of you dancing oh. to the theme song <laughs> Chris, Chris, how old are you? I was born in seventy four, so I'm forty five. Okay, late seventy four. Well, you're you're still in that area. You know what this was like back then. Back then, when I was a boy, yeah, um, we were starved for anything superheroes outside of the comic books that we were reading. Mm -hmm. You know, we took anything that would come on TV or, or in the movies, which was even, you know, rare. Uh, And I'm laughing because I'm thinking of like the Spider-Man TV series with Nicholas Hammond, which in the, when the pilot showed, I thought I was just in heaven. Like, Oh my God, it's Spider-Man, right? You know, (laughs) you know, we, we took what we got back then. Um, when, uh, when they did the two, uh, live action DC superhero, uh, specials in the seventies, those infamous specials, Mm -hmm. the, uh, challenge of the superheroes and roast of the superheroes, uh, where Adam and Bert, uh, reprised their, you know, roles. We, we took it because you know what? We had never seen Hawkman in live action. Right. We had never seen Black Canary in live action, uh, Green Lantern, The Flash. You know, we we just sat there and were stunned, you know, by all that. Now we look back and laugh at it all, especially when, you know, you stack it up against the Marvel and DC movies today. But, you know, it, we we were just, you know desolate without anything and when something came along it was just like manna in the desert oh yeah yeah those those specials i mean it was so strange because you know i was pretty i think they aired in like what 79 so i was like you know four i wasn't even five because i was born in late 74 so i remember right. watching those but for a year after a while when they you ne- they never were syndicated that i know of they never showed up no uh no. And, you know any package or you know syndication package or anything and right. i remember convincing myself that i had made that up at some point you know it's like <laughs> th- that couldn't have happened there was no i, I remember the bit where uh robin plays charades with batman about wrecking the batmobile for some reason that specifically <laughs> like stuck right. in my head and then and then some right. of the other characters and then comic scene magazine in the late 80s showed a ran up the the cast photo from that uh <laughs> including retired man uh there with retired them. man yeah and, yeah and i'm like oh my god it was real i mean this is pre-internet you know so i had no way of knowing to go look for it but now i own those on official released warner brothers archive dvd so <laughs> Right, right. Made to order. Yeah, they had to do those made to order. I had a similar situation with the the 1960s Fantastic Four cartoon. Mm. I went through many of my childhood years with this vague memory 
of a of a Fantastic Four cartoon. And again, pre-internet days wasn't really easy to look anything up like that. And I thought I totally imagined it. And then finally, there was a, a book of which was basically a, a, an encyclopedia of television shows. And sh th there it was, it, Fantastic Four animated. And and <laughs> it was a good feeling to know that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I'm still I, I I get a lot of grief from my my podcasting buddies. I I unabashedly I know they're not good, but there's just something about those red brown Captain America movies. I think it's the theme song. I just I I, I can't help it. I I like those movies. I mean, the fact that Christopher hey. Lee's in the sequel, you know. <laughs> Hey, no, no judgment, you know, from from me. I I watched it all, you know, the the, the Hulk, the Spider-Man uh, show, the Hulk, uh, the Doctor Strange mm -hmm. uh, pilot movie, uh, you know, all of that. You know, I, I was there and and just just sat there and soaked it all up. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, when you were a kid, so I know as, as, as we age and stuff, our viewpoints change, but as a, as a kid watching Batman in syndication, did you have a favorite guest villain that you're particularly fond of? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an easy one for me. It's, it's going to be Frank Gorshin's Riddler. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, hands down. Uh, and with all the colorful, villains in that show uh he still stands head and shoulders above anybody else and it's 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 a couple things but mostly it's it's frank gorshin's performance and i realized that more and more as i got older and really examined it and watched it uh uh i I, my favorite color is green, so having a green costume, you know, really helped. But it, it's definitely what he does with that role. And now to know that the reason that we are even talking about the Riddler, the the reason that the Riddler is considered to be a major component of Batman's Rogues Gallery is because of that show and because of Frank Gorshin. That character was nothing mm -hmm. before the show. Uh, two Golden Age comic book appearances uh, around f 1948, 1949, and then one 60s appearance before the TV show, which I believe was in 65, not long, you know, before the TV show. It's easy to see that Dozier, um, Rich, uh, uh, Dozier, um, William Dozier, the producer of the Batman TV series. It's easy to see that he got one of the he got that comic book somehow mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that had that Riddler appearance. And to him, uh, he probably had no reason to think that the Riddler was not a prominent villain and uh, saw something you know fun in it that writers could really sink their teeth into. And uh, and went with it. And and again, we're talking about the Riddler right now because of that. If that had not happened, it's hard to say whether or not writers would have continued to use the Riddler. They definitely wouldn't have. I don't think they would have used him as much as they have by this point. Uh, it, it could have been years again before the Riddler uh, returned in the comic books, if not for the TV series. Oh yeah, I I totally agree, and partially too because the Riddler is apparently he's hard to write, you know, because I mean the 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 gimmick of the character 
You you have to yeah. have a uh, oddly enough we'll get back to that, but you have to have a hook and an angle for <laughs> for uh, to to write a good Riddler story. But yeah, I, I I would agree that you know even as a kid and now as much as I love Burgess Meredith as a Penguin and Cesar Romero as a Joker and of course Julie Newmar as Catwoman and and, and many of the other villains, I. I, the 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 intensity that Gorshin brought to that role, you always felt like that there was an extra level of danger involved because you really, Absolutely. even as, as a kid, felt like the Riddler was insane, even if you didn't know what insane yeah. meant. <laughs> yeah, in, in you know, intense is really the the perfect word to use here. It, it is his intensity. I've often said to people. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily mind being in the same room as Cesar Romero's Joker, but I would not want to be in the same room with Frank Gorshin's Riddler because uh, I don't think I'd get out of that room alive. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> and, and one more thing. Um, I have been very fortunate to not once but twice work with Batman comic book writer Chuck Dixon uh, on on the on Gotham City, fourteen miles, and then he returns for Zlong Zak Zowie. And what does he do? He does what he does best: is he talks about his own experiences with writing the character of the Riddler, and that insight is just amazing because he basically is saying what you were saying: it's a challenge uh, to write the character, but something that he loved doing. Oh yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I thought when 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 Chuck Dixon was doing that wonderful era of of Batman comics when Chuck Dixon was writing pretty much every Batman related comic book in the 90s. Yeah. It's like it's my own personal golden age for me. He did a fantastic Riddler story uh and and then that that annual where he told his origin and everything. Yeah, he had a he has yep. a great handle on the Riddler. So that, yep. that's fantastic. Yeah. I love Totally that. agree. Yeah. yeah. So was there a particular episode during that uh during your uh, first watches of the Batman show that uh that you recall really wowing you as a kid? You know, that's a good question because I think that I remembered, I mean my earliest memories of the show it, it would be uh moments more so than in entire plots. Because we're talking, I was about five or so. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of the the tropes and cliches of the show would have really stood out to me more. Uh, the the Batcave uh, is a fantastic thing. Anything at all to do with uh, the Batcave and that Batcave stood out a, a lot to me. Um, it, as as a kid, it's funny they they wouldn't have shown them necessarily in order, so I would sit there. Batman would come on the the um, the animated beginning would play, and I'd sit there and go, "Please let Batgirl swing in right now." <laughs> okay, they're good. Oh, it's a Batgirl episode! Yay! It's strange now for me to look back at that because that's third season and and to put it mildly third season is not so great <laughs> but i knew i know what i was going on about and that's that the more the more superheroes the better mhm mm you know, you get Batman and Robin, and that's great. But why not throw in a third one in there? Oh my gosh, it's Batgirl, 
and 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 you're happy because you get three superheroes on the screen in, instead of two. Yep, that's that's true. I mean, I, I I remember doing the same thing, waiting to see, you know, what uh, what what you know. I didn't know the difference between seasons. You know, I thought maybe Batgirl just occasionally showed up. You know, you don't you don't yeah you know, when you're a kid exactly you yeah <laughs> you don't realize that's exactly what it yeah I had no idea and and really gave no thought to it. You know why why should I? It's a it's a show. I have no idea. You know, you get something like Lost in Space, and even as a kid, you know that some of them are in black and white and some are in color. So you kind of get the impression that the black and white ones came earlier. Mm -hmm. You don't have that. You you know, back then we didn't sit there and go, uh, you you know, uh, uh, if, if Batgirl was not on the screen, you don't go, oh, this must be a third season episode because the eye holes of Robin's mask are really big. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right? You know, or or oh, Bruce is wearing more swinging outfits, <laughs> you know, or something like that. You didn't think of things like that, and, and you know, you get these people who go into even more minutia and say, you know, they can identify the different cowls that that Adam wore, but you know, and say, well, that's definitely a late second season episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the Star Trek guys that can pinpoint you know it's like well you can tell clearly this is the beginning of a season because shatner's in really good shape and then by mid-season right. he puts on his little he's eating from craft services too much and he puts on a little weight and then he slims exactly. back down again at the end of the season you know uh that that type uh exactly. that 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 deal yeah it, as a kid i i had no it's like it's like watching the adventures of superman are we going to get uh uh you know nice noel neil lois lane or the kind of caddy uh phyllis coates lois lane uh you know in the black and white episodes you know so, uh, um, you know, exactly. I had no idea the, you know, why there were two Lois Lanes. It's like, why were there two Darrens on, on Bewitched? <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, did you realize there were two Darrens? <laughs> uh, did you, did you realize that, uh, Yeoman Rand just disappears at one point? <laughs> yeah. I did. did you realize that there were episodes where, where Chekhov wasn't even in them? <laughs> You know, really, one thing I did notice when I was a kid, uh, we're getting way off Batman here, but on the monkeys, I'm like, where's Mike? Why is Mike Nesmith not in these episodes? And then, <laughs> you know, and then and then later I learned, well, Mike Nesmith was probably ticked off at Don Kirshner. That's why he wasn't in these episodes. But I didn't know that back then, you know. <laughs> so. It's easy to know what season of monkeys you're watching. All you do is look at Mickey's hair. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's all you got to do. Enough said. Right, right. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I know that particular there's there's some writers and and as Batman historians and that have brought up that that there were death there were death trap episodes that like literally traumatized them. The the cliffhanger was there a was there a favorite death trap that you recall as a kid that really like shocked you and you were just couldn't wait to the next episode. Um. You know what? Yeah, kind of. Um, and it's it's funny because it's Mark Wade, uh, mm. comic book writer Mark Wade's uh, had this same problem uh, that that he told me about when we were uh, publicizing Gotham City fourteen miles. And it's the there's a three parter in the second season of Batman that uh, Zodiac Crimes is the first part of the three parter, and it's a uh, it's an actual team up between. Uh, the Joker and the Penguin, and this is after the the feature film where we got four villains. 
uh, Joker and Penguin got back together for this third season or second season three parter. Uh, at one point, um, uh, Venus, the Joker's mall, uh, and Batman and Robin are chained up and put in this uh, pool of water, and there's a giant man-eating clam <laughs> that that moves towards them and starts to uh, starts to eat Robin. Um, that one really sticks out in in my mind uh, as just one of the utterly fantastic, <laughs> um, uh, you know, death traps. And I love this that Mark Wade said. Now Mark Wade watched it, you know, first run, and he said that he bought it hook, line, and sinker. He thought Robin was gone. Oh wow, that was it. Yeah, he said he could. You know, he couldn't believe it. It just ate Robin. Robin is dead, you know, and he was very relieved to find out that that Robin was not dead. Uh, uh, and uh, but, yeah, I don't know if I actually truly believed it at the time. I believe that the fights looked very realistic, mm. very realistic. I thought maybe they were even punch actually punching each other. Uh, and at some point when I was still a kid, somebody around me, some adult, somebody was making fun of the show and was talking about how fake the fight scenes looked. And I, re- I actually said, what are you talking about? The, like, I think they're actually punching each other, you know, and, and they're like, no, they're missing people's jaws by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the wonder of being a child. Yeah, you know, my dad used to, when I got a little bit older, when I was real little, he didn't, but when I was getting older, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more in a minute, but, but he would, he would kind of just kind of shake his head if I was watching the show. And, and I don't, I don't know if my dad entirely got that it was supposed to be, uh, you know, like a kind of a, a spoof for adults, basically, you know, like a, a, yeah. a, a, a the, 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 the silliness of a comic book dialed up to 11 for adults, but then of course, uh, you know, for kids like we like we proved, uh, you know, it's a complete it's a complete legitimate adventure to them. And, yes. And yeah. you know, my dad was like starting to bring that into question. And you know, every once in a while he'd get into that. He he read Golden Age comics too. And he'd be like, oh, you know, when I was a kid, Batman ran around at night and and stuck to the shadows. He didn't like run up the stairs of police headquarters in broad daylight and all you know that type of stuff. Well, and and my dad was right actually, you know. But it, you know, it's it. So it, it was kind of strange that I was kind of getting, you know, I was probably getting a lot of the same feedback that those. um those Batmanians that uh, that had the fanzines in the '60s that lost their mind over the the TV yeah. show, you know, the the the, the, the which, diehards. <laughs> which is which this and this is this is a whole nother podcast. We could we could go on. This is kind of a a, a little bugaboo of mine. I don't know where that attitude came from because. If you look at the history of the character from the very beginning and you go through the 40s and into the 50s, um, those people who maybe were a little older, I don't know what Batman comics that they were reading because um, uh, the portrayal of the character of Batman is in the 60s show is fairly accurate to the comics up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, what we think of as Batman today is really still coming off of 1985's 
1986, uh, right in there, um, Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Before that, it, you know, the, the character is pretty bright and sunny. Uh, there were, you know, 1970s comic books. The Brave and the Bold is a good example. When Bob Haney was writing it, Batman walks down the street of Gotham City in broad daylight and, and you know, so, saying hello to people walking down the street. You know, it, it was a common uh, thing the the true angst does not really come in until the mid eighties and after and and we're still playing off of it to this day. I, I do this, and again, I won't go too deep into this, but I challenge everybody go to like comics.org and put in Batman or Detective Comics. Pull up a cover gallery. You don't even have to go into the stories. Pull up the cover gallery. Start in the forties and just start going through the covers, you are going to see some of the silliest, goofiest, most absurd things that you would ever have imagined that make the 60s Batman show look like a serious drama. (laughs) Right. Bat Baby. There's an there's an issue in the fifties where Batman is turned into a small toddler and called Bat Baby. Yes. Um, and then you get into the Jack Schiff era where he's you know going to other planets and aliens are constantly invading Gotham City. But even before that, there's there's so much goofy stuff. And I'm going to point to uh, my essay in Gotham City 14 Miles for my my thoughts on that, where I actually examine the first 11 uh, stories of Batman. And that's the first 11 stories before Robin appears, where Batman is just by himself. Mm-hmm. And I compare it to the TV show Batman, and they are way more similar than anybody has ever, you know, imagined. Uh, Batman um, uh, makes puns while he's fighting. Uh, there's a story where he's just driving along for no reason and gets lost and has to pull his car over and go up to a house to ask for directions. Uh, he does bat climbs up the sides of build, uh, building. He escapes from incredible, impossible death traps. He smiles. It's it, People really need to knuckle down and read those early stories. And then when Robin comes in, it, it gets even more outlandish. Um, there, you know, Adam West didn't really do anything <laughs> to the character that wasn't really already already there other than they camped it up, you know. Right, right. But but his portrayal of the character is is dead on and 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 is absolutely um, you know, uh, right as far as what the character is and what the character needed to be, but I won't go into it, and but just to touch upon your your the the way children and adults look at the show, my uh, part of Zlong Zak Zowie uh, actually addresses that. Uh, I handled the very first episode, High Diddle Riddle, uh, and I look at the idea of how would an have how would an adult have viewed that episode. And at the same time, how would a child have viewed that episode? And I tried to put myself in that mindset uh, of someone who maybe read some Batman comics when they were a kid 
uh, was a you know an average intelligent adult in in January of 1966. Uh, their child wanted to watch the show, so they sat down and watched it. How would they maybe have reacted to it? And uh, and that's what that's what mine's all about. Sorry, I know I'm, I'm, I you get me wound up and I get going. Oh no no that's that's fantastic. Don't apologize. That's what that's I'm here to talk to you about this. So I just uh, that's fantastic. I I can't I. I uh, just a just a sneak peek, folks. I I I am involved in this, this book as well. I wrote an essay for this book. I haven't said that yet, but I I have chosen not to read, even though I had a PDF preview copy. I've chosen not to read any of the book until I get it in my little hands because I just I'm an old school guy, and that's the way I like to. I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's like it's like I, I don't want to see I, a movie like too much of a movie before I go to the movie theater and see it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of the same thing. Right. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I wanted you to you to bring it <laughs> bring okay. it up. As proud as I am to have you in in the book with us, I still wanted that news to <laughs> come from you. Um, uh, but but yeah, I'm so glad that you're uh, that you're in the book and and you seem to ha- enjoy yourself. Oh yeah, I definitely did. And and uh, we'll get into it more. But I got to talk about Frank Gorshin's Riddler too, so that was great. Um, now, there you bonus. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Now I since we were talking about the the adult the adult perspective versus the child perspective this is a this is a process that many Batman fans go through was there ever a point in your life where you didn't like the 60s TV series did you ever turn against it never never um my interest in it has only increased it's changed somewhat because as we as we've said as a child i loved it unconditionally um i it, it there was nothing bad uh, about it as an adult i've tempered my love for it and have accepted that there are parts of the show uh, sometimes whole episodes that are not that great and sometimes they're even kind of bad. But as John, uh, as Drew and I have said so many times on the Batcave podcast as we looked at episodes, even with the bad episodes, there are there's something in them that you can hold up and go, wow, I'm really glad they did that or this is a really interesting moment. I guess it's just that my my love has become more multifaceted uh, for the show, but I'm also able to say, yeah, that's not so great, or geez, why did they do that, or um, somebody was really asleep at the wheel, <laughs> and that usually comes in third in third season. <laughs> There's some really unfortunate moments in third season, and it's no wonder that the the show didn't get renewed uh after that there there was probably some things that they could have done uh to to save it and to turn it around but um also in some ways it's now an it's this nice finite thing you know three mm-hmm. seasons got in did it got out and that's that and we have this this little you know jewel this little moment in time that could never be duplicated again to to and now to look at and to be inspired by and to study and and to just have fun with over and over again yeah i i think you know i know a lot of a lot of fans that 
because of things like the Dark Knight Returns and then the 89 Batman movie there, uh, which the 60s TV show like got us a, a shot in the arm in popularity because of the, the all the hype around the 89 Batman movie. I remember the Family Channel started playing it like crazy and other other stations did too. But, yeah. I, I, you know, I was... I was like hitting my teen years around that time. I was 14 when the 89 movie came out. So I, I know a lot of people really did just like kind of, you know, turn up their nose at the show. Basically it's silly. This is, you know, and, and, and a lot of it too was when comics were trying to get, uh, you know, there were, you know, the graphic novels and, and, and works like dark Knight returns and Watchmen were coming along. You know, the, the, the general media just couldn't resist, you know, starting, starting their article with something similar to Zlonk Zock Zowie, you know, Zap Pow, yeah. comics, this, comics, this, are, bam, this bam pow, this yeah, bam pow, exactly. comics are adult for adults now and yeah. things like that. That's and, still going on. That's yeah, it, still going on to, it, to this day. It is, uh, yeah. which is really unfortunate. Um, two, two things. The classic, uh, Denny O'Neill, and Neil Adams Batman of the 70s 1970 and you know onward there that exists because of the 66 Batman show mm-hmm. it because it's a direct response to it would it have happened if the Batman 60 show didn't exist M- maybe not uh for anybody who puts down the 60s show but loves what Danny O'Neill and and Neil Adams did, you know, returning the character to his Dark Knight detective roots and and all of that, um, which isn't ex- exactly accurate. Um, if they love that, they have to acknowledge the '60s show. It was a response to that. It was we need to put the final nail in the coffin of the yeah. '60s show by doing this, by you know putting him back into the, the night by uh you know lengthening his cape and and his ears and and over and over and over again um the 80s the 89 movie went out of its way the producers and advertising people everybody involved went out of their way to put down the 60s show they had to um and i admit that they had to be they had to distance themselves from it if that movie was ever to be taken seriously the funny thing is is watch it now and it's kind of campy yeah (laughs) yeah you know, it, yeah. it really is funny as much as that. But, you know, every single interview, everything about that movie was this is not that 60s show. You know, this is not the Adam West Batman over and over and over again, because they knew the press was going to grab on it. That was our only real example of Batman on film, you know, mm-hmm. to to that point. They had they had to. And I and I totally get that. And then we went through this period of pre- pretension where uh, Frank Miller comes along, Dark Knight Returns, uh, Watchmen, and everything else, and gra- the graphic novels and and all of that. We had to go through all of that and and 
you know, completely, you know, not mention the 60s show, or if you do, you have to ridicule it. It took all the way up to, in my mind, Grant Morrison, uh, writer Grant Morrison took over Batman and uh, did some really great stories, but basically turned around and said, listen, every era of Batman is valid. It all really happened. It's all important. It's all valid. And I'm going to take them all and and fold them all into one sort of universal version of Batman. And, and I love it. When he hit the point where he was doing the book called Batman Incorporated – um, he, that you read it. It's, it, I mean, it's funny. It's, it, it's got cliffhanger endings with a sort of this, uh, narration, you know, like, you know, what will Batman do now? You know, and come, but you know, <laughs> blah, blah. I love it because you can see that the, the 60 show influenced Morrison and, and he fitted in there. He found a place uh, for it. And I love that. And then once he was done, you got some writers coming in and they tried to, you know, throw that all out again. But it's going to happen. It's going to go up and down over the years. Um, There was just a, you know, a nice resurgence when we finally got the show on on DVD and Blu-ray and and the merchandise and and all of that. And that's quieted down again. But it's so funny. Everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Suddenly, you know, a few years back, everybody loved the TV show. <laughs> and here's people like you and me and how many other people going, where were you all these years? Like, right. we've always loved it. We've always gotten it. We've always appreciated it. We've always understood it. And now you get all these Johnny come lately's jumping on the bandwagon and, 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 and they, you know what? They really only knew sound bites from the show. They knew, and what they knew really was from the movie because that's all you could watch right. for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, um, to them, Batman was some days you can't get rid of a bomb. Well, that's a great line and it's still funny, but there's much more going on yeah. other than you know, Biff, Bam, Pow, yeah. uh, you know, holy this and that. And those are all just sound bites because really for years and years and years, that's all we really had. Uh, I, I loved it when finally we had all the shows, we could watch them at our leisure. Everybody could sit and examine it and reevaluate the show. Yeah, yeah, me too. And and you know, I will. I've always said this uh, that um, you know, it, it was it was kind of difficult being a fan of the the series, um, and you know, all this media you read about you know about the this new take on Batman that that's that sprung somewhat from the 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 Denny O'Neill Adams and the Englehart Rogers Batman and 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 all the all the Batman comics and the in the bronze age and, you know, post TV show. But, you know, all this media was basically telling you that, that the TV show was, was crap basically. But, you know, in my mind, I never, I never felt that way, but I did kind of feel like that the Batman TV show, when I was a teenager, it was that, that uncle I loved as a kid. He was a little strange. Um, sure. he, He was a little kooky, but I loved him, yeah. and he loved me, and you know the rest of the family didn't understand him. But <laughs> but I like that's him. <laughs> a, that, that's a really really wonderful way to put it, and I totally am behind you on that one. Um, I said a very similar thing about uh, Earth Two. Mm. Growing up as a kid in the comic books in Earth Two in the Justice Society, 
you know, my beloved Justice Society of America was on Earth too. And and when we got to the point where the crisis on Infinite Earth merged it all into one, it was like, yeah, that's okay. But you know what? What I loved about Earth two was like Earth two was like your your crazy uncle, your re- crazy relatives or crazy uncles that lived across town. <laughs> And you only saw them once a year, but it was really special when you did because they were goofy and crazy and unique and eclectic, and there was something really special about them, it, you know. But when you bring them over and uh, have them move in next door to you and you see them all the time, you know, maybe it's a little less special. Yep, I totally agree. That's and I. And I'm a kid who, you know, ate up Crisis and it was it and DC Comics post Crisis was very exciting. They didn't have nearly as much figured out as you think they would have uh, what they were going to do, but uh, it was it was very it was a very exciting time. But I I still kind of and I and I've got in debates with uh, some of the other people on our network. I kind of felt like they threw the baby out with the bathwater uh, with Crisis and DC's honestly been like DC Comics itself has been searching for its its identity ever since then because uh, yeah. Yeah, and actually it's kind of weird because now Marvel like like trades on the multiversal act aspects of their comics I mean you know Sp- into the Spider-Verse alone shows you that's a that's a DC multiverse concept just annexed yeah. by Marvel you know so yeah. uh, and it's a wonderful it, film don't get me wrong I love it but it's it's a DC at least there's that this thing at least there's this that can be said about Marvel the Marvel Universe today, the main Marvel Universe, of course, essentially, and I and I, you know, give that caveat. Essentially, it's the same universe that it's always been since 1961. Mm-hmm. You can't say that with DC. I, I I'm serious. I'm not sure how many iterations we've had, and it's funny because I'm a DC guy, you know. Yeah, but at least with Marvel, um, you know, um, the um, the Spider-Man's first meeting with the Fantastic Four in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one, I think it is, mm-hmm. that you know that happened, and it happened like that. You know, right. they've tweaked things here and there, and they have to have a sliding time scale. And I get all tiny, you know, all of that. Fine, you know, Tony Stark did not get wounded in Vietnam. You know, I get that. Yeah. But essentially, it's the same universe. Um, they, 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 you know, lose a little. DC loses a little bit more of me each time. My heart, uh, you know, when they they reboot everything. Um, so that that that's where I'm still living in the '60s, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought up the JSA, and and that's that's uh, that's a good place to go because I think that I first quote unquote met you on the old DC message boards, like in the late '90s, early 2000s, and you were running uh, the June the Justice Society of America Appreciation Association fan club, and I think I got that right, and uh, and. Um. That's out, yeah, the JS AAA, yep. Yep, okay, okay. And I was, I was a member of that, so, so that was kind of, how did that, how did that come about? Because that kind of started to lead into your, your, your professional life. How'd that come about? Yeah, um, when I first got online, uh, I discovered this wonderful thing called message boards. And one of the first message boards that I used to frequent was a toy one, and it's terrible. I cannot think of the name of it. Was it Raven Toy right Maniac? 
raving, raving it might, maybe could be, it could be. Well, I started to find, um, like-minded people. You know, I read, a, I read a lot of posts and then started to get brave enough to make posts of my own and to comment on uh, people's threads and then, then to start threads of my own. And I found that one of the best uh, reactions that I got is anytime I mentioned anything about the Justice Society. And so it's funny. I was just, I think I was just on there just as Jim. And at one point, like, I was getting really good reactions and really good conversations. <laughs> I went and you could do that. You could just change your, you know, the, the name that you posted under very easily. And I changed it to JSA Jim, obviously being, a, you know, a, a student of the uh, Stan Lee School of Alliteration. <laughs> so so I was JSA Jim. And um, I kept posting and saying more stuff about, oh, wouldn't it be fun if there was JSA toys and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think at that point, maybe I started to migrate somewhat over to the D, the official DC message boards, but I started, um, I started, uh, to ask around if, if anybody would be interested in the idea of, uh, a Yahoo club for the justice society that was back when they have Yahoo groups, but that was clubs back then. And clubs were way, way better than what groups, you know, they turned it into groups, which are not very good at all. Right. So I got some great reactions from people about that. So I started uh, the JSAAA, the JSA Appreciation Association. And um, at one point, that was the largest comic book group on Yahoo club. Pardon me. (laughs) <laughs> we had more members than any other comic book related club. Uh, we attracted the attention of uh, all of the creative uh, t- you know, teams um, from the very start. Uh, Jeff Johns was on there and Steve Sadowski, uh, all, you know, Leonard Kirk, uh, all the different uh, uh, writers and artists and even the editors all came onto there. And we all hung out together. We used to have the group chats uh, we did. We even did a, like a role playing game back and forth on it. Was it was a lot of fun while it lasted. And yeah, and then I got really heavily into all the toys um, and with DC Direct, and I got to know the the guys who ran DC Direct uh, for DC. Even visited the offices in in New York and and was was in on all of that stuff. That was a really, really fun time. And then they changed it to groups and it just took the, it just took the fun out of it. It took the wind out of our sails and I just, I shut it all down. Um, and, uh, and then eventually came to Facebook and it's so funny, started to, uh, little by little find all these different people who would, uh, come up to me virtual it virtually come up to me and and say hey i was you know earth 2 ed on on the js triple a or you know whatever and uh so that was really fun because i realized that 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 club kind of made an impact on, on people and that they you know they had a good time 
Yeah, I still have my membership badge that you sent out somewhere. I oh, <laughs> wow! Yeah, I, with the yeah with the signal device on it. Yep, I was I was I was very clever and named myself Earth Two Robin back then because uh, <laughs> I thought I was the was only it, guy who loved Earth Two Robin, and I clearly was, was it E Two E Two Robin. It, it might have been E2 Robin, yeah. Because there, been. I think there was somebody who was E2. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Now, here's the, Chris, here's the big question. Yeah. Black, or pardon me, gray and yellow first costume or the later red, green, and yellow costume? At the red, green, and yellow, and specifically the way Jim Aparo drew it in my absolute favorite comic of all time, Brave and the Bold number yeah. 182, written by Alan Brennert. So okay, <laughs> you just saved yourself. You just saved yourself because I was about to shut shut my computer down and <laughs> and and leave you behind. the 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 answer to which costume is is really the gray and blue and yellow one. That's what you meant to say, but I'm going to give you points for bringing up Alan Brennert's Brave and Bold uh, issues because there is nothing better <laughs> than, than that. Right, right. I am the proud, proud, proud owner of the original script of Alan's for that issue. Oh. His original, you know, type typed out, uh, you know, pre-internet whatever script uh, he, um, what, a year or two ago, he was cleaning out a house. He was going to be moving or he wanted to, he had everything on, you know, disc or, or digitally or whatever. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he had all of his scripts in, in paper form. And he was saying how he was going to be getting rid of them or whatever. And I contacted him and he already knew that, like, I worship the ground that he, you know, writes on or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and, uh, he said that he would send me the scripts. So I got that. I got everything that I love except for the, um, the brave and bold where earth Two Batman marries earth Two Catwoman. Oh, the autobiography of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, and that's only because he couldn't find it. Mm. He, he's not sure where it's at, but I got the, his brave and bold issues other than that. And, his Black Canary slash Justice Society story for Secret Origins number 50. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Which I just love that story. That's still one of my most favorite comic book stories, and I've got the, the script for that, too. So, so yeah, you saved yourself, boy, by bringing that up. <laughs> well, you know, here, Alan Brenner is uh, my buddy Rob Kelly that's the, the co-founder of the network and and I do Superman Movie Minute Power Records podcast with. He is a hum- he is also a humongous fan with Alan Brenner. He is he has got to meet Alan. He's ate, eaten lunch with Alan. Uh, he recently interviewed Alan about the the new Namor uh, Marvel snapshot one shot he wrote with Jerry Ordway, which yeah. is a wonderful wonderful comic. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah so fun. I, I love it. And and uh, and and then um, we had a series on Secret Origins. 
uh, that covered that Black Canary issue. That's that that story that's so wonderful in issue number fifty. So this it, the it, you you fit right in on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Jim. I just got to tell you right now because we're all humongous fans of Alan Brenner. But who? If, if, who? What comic fan isn't? If you're not, then I don't. I, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody, but really, <laughs> I mean, all you got to do is read one story, and you should be hooked because the man can can do no wrong, and he does. He does so much with the history of the characters, and 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 he he stays completely true to the history of the characters, but he adds so much to it. Like each yeah. time he touches on on those characters, well, and, yeah. It, he unfortunately, and I've told him this before, he, he, he didn't, he hasn't written enough comic books. It's so funny. I mean, it's, it's really a small handful mm-hmm. of, of comic book uh, scripts that he's written over the years. But I, you know, I love everything that he's written and it would, that was so wonderful that they brought him back to do that Submariner story. If only DC, you know, could have him, come back and and do something but in a way without the original earth too maybe that's not such a you know good idea um there's some really fun things in the scripts where you can see what editorial changed a little bit Mm. Uh, not much but it 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 was the especially in that secret origins number 50 script because it was after crisis and it was the way he was referring to something and they changed it because they didn't like, I think it kind of flatly came out and stated something about crisis and they were trying to get past that, you know, at at that point. Yeah. But that stuff's always, I love it because those scripts have white out on them, (laughs) you know, where he like whited stuff out and re, you know, rewrote lines and and things like that. It's so fun because um, when I got those scripts, I sat down with the actual comics and went page by page comparing it to, to the script. Hmm. And as a writer, you know, that was just one hell of an illumination uh, for, for me. So Good, but just just remember from here on out what the answer is to that Earth Two costume question, okay? Okay. Well, I like that one. I mean, I like the goofy charm of that. I, I actually own is it Justice League number fifty five with with him debuting on the cover where he's. It looks like it, he's punching. It that sure guy the hell crotch. is. Yeah, he looks yeah. like he's punching that yeah. guy right in the crotch. Honestly, which I always think's funny. But... <laughs> look, will you listen? Listen, that's that's right in that's in the middle of Batmania. Oh yeah, that exists because of the the TV show. They would never have sat there and you know made Earth to Robin grown up and stick him in a Batman costume and put him so huge on that cover if it wasn't for that TV show. And that's one of the reasons why I love it. That is the goofiest costume, but I love it dearly beyond my, you know, words. Um, I wish that they had made an actual action figure. I've seen a lot of customs, Mm -hmm. you know, that people have made, but oh, how I wish that they had made an actual action figure. And my love for that costume has grown with everyone who has told me they loathe that costume. That makes (laughs) me love it even more. Just absolutely love that costume and there's some really cool things if you look at those two issues 55 and 56 you can see that they were still fiddling with the costume and the way it was drawn and designed and drawn yes as as the story's going on you can see that it was that they meant it to be a short sleeve 
uh, tunic like his, you know, old Robin thing because there's a line drawn around his bicep, but then they colored it, you know, all gray all the way down to long sleeve. And then in the first issue it's like a a jerkin you know uh, a tunic kind of thing like his robin tunic that Mm -hmm. it's sticked out underneath the belt and then they change that by the time you get to the second issue the second part of the story i just love that the mask is like a bat symbol just so fun i mean the opera cape you know like (laughs) why the heck is there you know do they give it, it makes no sense and that's what i love about it yeah, it's 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 so. I mean, it makes if you thought Alan and I love Alan Scott. He's like he's one of my favorite Green Lanterns. But if you thought Alan Scott got dressed in the dark, then Dick Grayson, uh, Adult Robin, yeah. got dressed in the dark. But it's wonderful. Yeah. I love it. And I wait. and I did make a Mego of both versions, so a custom Mego. Cool. So yeah. So <laughs> wait a minute. Are are you saying that there is there's another Green Lantern other than Alan Scott? <laughs> Well, I do. Huh. I do a Justice League Unlimited podcast, so I've become real fond of John Stewart. So, uh, you know. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. I'm I'm familiar with Alan Scott, of course, but um, the next thing you're going to be telling me is there are other flashes other than Jay Garrick. <laughs> They're all John Wesley ships, so it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, when when you mentioned Rob Kelly, I I wanted to say, oh, you mean the Aquaman guy? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's still he's still I, the Aquaman guy. Yeah, <laughs> I owe Rob uh, um, uh, some um, uh, amount of debt <laughs> um, because uh, he kind of led the way uh, in in his production of the book Hey Kids Comics. Mm-hmm. And I'm in that book. Um, that is kind of. One, it's like one of my inspirations for the things that I've done, including, you know, Zalong Sok Zowie. Um, and uh, I'm so glad he did that uh, book. And it's still, you know, one of my proud achievements of being in that book. I wish he had done more books like that. Yeah, that's a wonderful book. I, it's it's just uh, it's fantastic. I, I've, I still get mine out and and read it. It's on it's on my bookshelf right next to my DC Digest, which I know Rob love so that i know he would love that so <laughs> we're talking Great. about him like well, he's not around but he's i just talked to him this morning so <laughs> well hopefully he'll hopefully he'll listen to this and and hear me you know give him all the thanks that i'm giving him for uh for doing that book okay cool I, i'm sure he will i'm sure he will so i so now you were talking about um you met and got to interact with the creative team on uh, the the JSA title that was really popular at DC at the time. It was such a wonderful, wonderful thing that when that came out. So, so that actually led to some work with DC Comics and kind of, I guess, got your. Did that get your professional writing career going? Yeah, uh, yeah I consider that my my very first, you know, professional sale as a as a writer. Um, the uh, I did a a four page story for um, JLA JSA Secret Files number one. <laughs> Talk about a long winded title, but um, <laughs> yeah, and I was able to do that because I knew, you know, I the the editor at that time, which that was uh, Peter Tomasi, I believe at that time, or no, well, Peter Tomasi was the editor for like Flash and JSA at that time, 
but it was Ivan Cohen was was the uh, editor for the Secret Files books at that time. Mm. But um, I um, I suggested uh, doing a Red Tornado story, the Android Red Tornado, who's always been a favorite of mine, and uh, they let me do that. It's funny, I wrote it as a three page story, and they came back and they said, "Yeah, we want to buy the story, but we we need you to add a page. <laughs> we want it. To, we need it to be a four page story." Wow. So, um, so that that was really really fun. And um, at that around that same time, um, I was asked to do the. Um, text pages for the Hawkman secret files, not a story, but the text pages. And that it's funny that was done after the, the red tornado story, but it came out first mm. Hawkman secret files came out and then JLA JSA secret files. So that's been my only brushes with, with DC comics. Unfortunately, that was at a wonderful time where somebody like me could still get some little work with, with DC, after that, um, it was it became a fortress. Like the Porcullis, you know, came down hard, and and the gates were closed, and the drawbridge, you know, brought up that you could not get into uh, DC or Marvel like that. After that, it was basically you had to have. You had to be a screenwriter previously, a novelist, you know, best-selling novelist, something like that, to get any kind of work uh, at DC. Yeah, it seemed it seemed around that time that like some of the some uh, a lot of the people in charge at DC um, and Marvel, they they a lot of them started to come from elsewhere in the entertainment industry, and they they came with that same the idea of hiring other people. In the inter- entertainment yeah. industry, it was really, yeah, it was really unfortunate. It just, it just this like sudden, sudden shift. All it just, it, you could, you can almost feel it. You know, it's just, it's uh, sure uh, everything just yeah. became more corporate, for lack of a better, for lack of a better term. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but that didn't stop you because I mean you. I mean, you are quite a prolific writer, uh, and and I, it's so that got your got that ball rolling for you. And I know you have been heavy in the new pulp movement. Can you tell folks what the new pulp movement is? Yeah, very basically, it is a small community of writers who are working in the style of the pulp magazines of the 30s, 40s, and 50s in that grand old style of action-adventure writing, uh, you know, two-fisted, story-driven writing, but adapting it to different things, but not only doing pulpy uh, noir stories or, or, you know, adventure action stories, but then also kind of, um, seeing, um, if you can, if we can adapt that sort of writing to other things that were never thought of, uh, back in those days. Um, it's been an incredible time. Um, my first work was published, wow, 20, 2012, 2013, somewhere right in there, uh, in in what we call New Pulp, and uh, and and haven't haven't looked back uh, since then. Having a lot of uh, fun, you know, with that, and and uh, I you know I call myself a writer of adventure fiction, um, and and hope to always be. 
<laughs> well, I, I mean, just to look at your your Amazon writers page and and uh, yeah, it's 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 super impressive, man. I, I tell you, I was like, I was, I, I feel like I'm I'm fairly aware of what you've done and a fan of what you've done, but I mean, I. I went out there like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know about that one. I, so I've, I, I'm like, I'm like, well, I've, I've got myself a, a wish list of, of things to, oh, <laughs> to order. I appreciate that. I've been, I've been very lucky. Uh, I've been very lucky to have been able to work with some really great uh, uh, publishers, um, some really great artists, um, some really great uh, co-writers, co-editors. Uh, and, and just had a wonderful time to, to the point where I started my own little publishing firm with, um, uh, a guy, uh, another writer that I know, uh, from Cleveland, uh, John Bruning, who we formed a, a little house called Flinch Books and we're up to, oh, he's going to kill me for getting this wrong. I think we're up to six books now, uh, and, uh, with, uh, a, a few more on the way that we're working on now, but we, we basically do one, one book a year. Uh, it's not something that we rush. We want to get it right. We're, uh, we're very proud of what we have put out and we're doing that same sort of thing. We have traditional pulp stuff, but we're also doing things that they might never have thought of. Like we have a, an anthology of mummy horror stories um, you know, everybody's done vampires and werewolves. We, so we did mummies. Uh, we have a circus anthology. Uh, um, there were circus themed stories back in the pulp era, but never a circus themed pulp magazine, which I just find incredible. Uh, but so we put out uh, a whole book called Big Top Tales. Uh, which is all, um, you know, kind of retro 1950s uh, stories centered around a, a traveling circus. Oh, wow. Nice, nice. I hope you get a little, maybe a little uh, connection to Dick Grayson there. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I guess, I guess in a way, you know, maybe that's one reason why, uh, why Robin's origin happened at, at the circus, because we know that, Bill Finger and Bob Kane were really paying attention to the pulp magazines they were reading, you know, in those early Batman stories. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they even, yeah, they even stole a, a shadow story for the very first Batman story. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, you know what? And I can, I can draw anything. I draw a line right back to Zlong Zog Zowie. That's, that's a really good um, segue to, to say, uh, Will Murray, who is one of the you know most knowledgeable pulp historians ever, and mm-hmm. the 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 guy who writes the official Doc Savage, uh, Shadow, Spider, and Tarzan novels now currently, he uh, wrote a really great uh, piece for Zong Zach Zowie uh, called uh, "The Cape Crusader Versus the Man of Bronze." Mm. And he digs into his episode by uh, comparing it uh, to Doc Savage. Uh, He talks about the things that Doc Savage, quote unquote, borrowed from from uh, pardon me, that Batman (laughs) borrowed from uh, Doc Savage, like the idea of the utility belt. It was a utility vest. Right. Uh, for Doc, but he also does talk about that uh, case of the chemical syndicate, 
which um, Bill Finger uh, <clears throat> borrowed from the Shadow Pulp magazine. Yeah, I know the the Monster Man uh, was a, a little bit of a lift from uh, Doc Savage story too. So yeah, I, it, yeah, there was <laughs> there was a know? quite a wholesale borrowing. Of course, Superman got quite a bit from Doc Savage, like a <laughs> Fortresses of Solitude. Well, you know what? Like there, <laughs> there, like you you said, there's there was a lot of connective tissue between pulps and comic books uh, at that time. Com- or pulps were actually starting to be go on their way out when comic books were coming in. Mm-hmm. But there's so much crossover there in terms of writers uh, and themes and uh, and wholesale, you know, lifting uh, uh, of different um, devices and plots and, and, and everything else. One of the great examples of it is Batman and the Black Bat. They both debuted in the same year, 1939, and were very similar to the point where finally the owners of the Black Bat and the owners of Batman had to have a little conference and agree not to sue each other and Mm -hmm. to kind of just stay out of each other's way. Uh, the black bat was dressed up in basically a bat costume with a cape with a scalloped edge and, and, uh, you know, ran around and at night. And, uh, the difference was that he was actually blind, mm. but could operate, uh, with a type of sight at, at night. Um, many, many years later, Stan Lee, who was a big pulp magazine fan, borrowed that idea for daredevil, mm-hmm. uh, 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 oh, uh, well, that, yeah, um, the Black Bat was a lawyer. He was a blind lawyer oh. <laughs> who could operate as a superhero. Yeah, so, so uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, but that's, just, that's just one of the many, many, many con- connections between pulps and, and the comics. Uh, comics owe so much to the, the pulps. There probably wouldn't have been the comic industry without the pulp magazine industry. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so... I know that you have, you know, in your years have edited several anthology books. Uh, you know, I know you've I've done quite a few, but one that uh, is pertinent to, to this conversation in particular is one we mentioned before, and that uh, is a book from about 10 years ago, uh, 14 Miles to Gotham City, 14 Essays on Why the 1960s Batman TV Show Matters. So at what what inspired you in particular to to say hey there needs to be a book on the Batman 60 series like this uh be, simply because there wasn't enough book there weren't enough books <laughs> about it <laughs> you know back back then well there still isn't today which is why we have Zlong Zagzawi but there certainly wasn't i mean back then there were uh there was basically um Joel Eisner's uh, official bat book um, and and not much else. There was a few collections of um, Batmania uh, that were put together into book form, but again, there just wasn't anything. Nobody nobody was saying enough in a book. I, you know, I love the Joel's book. Uh, it's a bible to me, and always will be a, a touchstone. But. Um, you know, there needed to be more uh, being said about it. And that's how Gotham City 14 Miles came about is is uh, to get a bunch of writers together and start examining this show in, in detail. Uh, and um, and it, it took 
Uh, well, it took 10 years, but we finally have what I'm calling the sideways sequel in, in Zlong, Zack, Zowie and, and it's next and the next two volumes too. Yeah. So, so after that many years, what I know you had people ask you over the years because you know, the, of the success of the book and, and the, the caliber of, of people you had involved in the book. So what, what made you decide to, to return to Gotham? What, what changed that made you say now's the time to do it? It it should have been done year, years ago, but I think what happened was, is there was a lot of time kind of messing around with the idea of doing a direct uh, continuation or sequel of Gotham City 14 Miles. And it took a while for me to realize that I didn't want, didn't really want to do it. I thought at one time I did, um, uh, the publisher Sequart, uh, and I talked about it. We even went so far as to, to start gathering writers and, and talking about essay topics. And it, it just kind of hit me at one point that, that Gotham City 14 Miles was a, was a great done in one, uh, I didn't want to mess with the success of it and and do something that that wasn't worthy of the of the original work and and just you know put the kibosh on it and and that was that. Um, flash forward to um, two years ago uh, when I was driving from Northwest Ohio to Atlanta, Georgia to go to Dragon Con. And I had a lot of time to think. It's a it's a long drive, and mm-hmm. I came up with the idea of I could bring back some of the writers. I could take the idea of doing a book with several essays about the Batman sixty six, and getting some of the original writers from Gotham City fourteen miles who would, are still interested in talking about the show, and do. And I came up with that term, a sideways sequel. Um, but I thought instead of trying to come up with topics like, wait, you know, in the first book we talked about the music, the, you know, there was an essay about the actors, about this and that. Why not really do an, an episode guide? But since there is already episode guides, most of them online, why do that exact same thing? Why not come at it in a different way? And that's how the the new book came about. It's it's approaching these episodes from from different points of view. All ever there's a writer for each episode instead of one writer doing an episode guide for the whole show, and each one of them finding a hook, a really unique entry point to dive in and and talk about it and i told everybody you know your the tone is up to you some are written somewhat more humorously some are more serious uh and uh i i just am very proud of what everybody came up with uh for the book yeah i I I thought that that when you when you know and 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 I, I got to give a shout out here to uh, Derek M Cook of Monster Kid Radio because I think you and I started talking about this uh, you know I learned about this project and I was like hey if you ever decide to do a sequel let me know or something You're like well actually there's some episodes still left or something and and that's how I got involved but you and I were on Monster Kid Radio. Uh, Derek show Monster Kid Rondo Award winning Monster Kid Radio. Uh, yay! Yay! And we were talking about uh, the Boris Karloff film, uh, The Body Snatcher, the produced by Val Luton, and uh, we we had both because we had both told uh, Derek independently independently that we felt 
that was actually Karloff's greatest performance. Yes, better than Frankenstein. And so he got yeah. us both together on that episode. So I gotta, I gotta thank Derek for, for, uh, you know, uh, getting us to, to talk. And so that's how I ended up in this book, which I don't know how I ended up in this book because tell some, <laughs> of, tell some of the, tell the listeners who, uh, who are the other contributors to this book are and, 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 and listen to them be amazed. <laughs> well, well, uh, Chris Franklin and frankly, there's, I don't know who's after that. I mean, there, that's reason enough for listeners to, 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 uh, to buy a copy of the book. Um, I have to say, um, your, your hook for your episode, and I won't spoil it for people at all, was, was very unique. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, you, uh, you don't, pull punches <laughs> much in it and i want to warn everybody if you're you know it's the same thing with gotham city 14 miles if you're look coming into this and you love batman 66 so much that you will brook no you know making fun of it or or looking at it humorously then maybe these books are not for you you know you have to have a sense of humor you have to admit that you know there are warts on on the show and 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 that's just the way it is you know you have to take the the bad with the with the good and and you you point out something very very funny and uh 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 maybe not so great about about your episode for it and, and i love it and you have and you have one of the most unique titles for the your essay too uh, <laughs> thanks i, I love the entry point for it. so um um we have uh ed cato who is uh the co-owner of the captain action property mm-hmm. uh joe crow um um I'm trying to uh, uh, Chuck Dixon. We already mentioned him. John S. Drew, of course. Um, uh, Bob Greenberger, who returns from uh, Gotham City, 14 Miles, uh, longtime uh, writer and editor for DC Comics. Uh, Dan Greenfield, who's the um, the the guy that runs the Thirteen Dimension uh, dot com mm-hmm. uh, news news site. Uh, Paul Kupperberg, again, he's returning from Gotham City, 14 Miles, longtime comic book. Writer Will Murray, like we mentioned, um, I love this Mark Raycop, who is Mister Batmobile. Uh, his company, Fiberglass Freaks, is the only company that has the license to ma- to l- make real '66 Batmobiles. And I mean, you know, these things yeah. obviously cost tens of thousands of dollars. You know, oh, that's uh, my bucket list right so, there. I, I saw, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I urge everybody to go, you know, go on Amazon, look up the book and see the full list of people. It's just incredible because they're from all, you know, different walks of life, all different experiences. And they all bring that to to what they do. Yeah, I I I can't wait to get it to get it in my hands and, and actually read through all the the essays. I do have a question. I don't want you to spoil too much, but can you can you give us a preview of what some of the other hooks are in the book like what you know like what the angle that somebody that that like pops out at you yeah um you know like i said will murray comes into it uh with his doc savage novel so that's his entry point is is you know batman stacked up against doc savage uh and and how does that work uh Mark Raycop he's Mr. Batmobile so he talks about a Catwoman episode that he felt 
the Batmobile was presented in a way that we got to see a lot of uses of it. And I love it because his entry point is that he can point out all these different things about uh, do, um, uh, oh my, isn't it terrible? George Barris. Barris. (laughs) George Barris' Batmobile. Uh, George Barris' Batmobile. And I love it because Mark goes, you know, oh, in in this shot, you'll notice that they push this button on the dashboard where that's normally used as this device. But for some reason, it's, you know, and uh, the bat beam, you know, first came a shot out of the, the headlights on the front. But in this episode, it actually comes out of the antenna as it raises. And yeah, I, I just love that, you know, all that little stuff about about the Batmobile. Um, um, Dan Greenfield, this is funny because he does this so often on 13th Dimension that he has articles that are 13 things about. Mm hmm. Blah, blah, blah. So he does 13 things about the episode that that he's writing about. And he's literally got them numbered, you know, and with a headline and going through it. I love it. For people who are fans of 13th Dimension, you're really going to feel comfortable, you know, with that. So one of the cool things that happened kind of by accident is is that the whole book is sort of almost bookended. Um, with my essay and with Ed Cato's essay. Um, there's one there's one essay after Ed's, but Ed actually does the final episode of first season. Rich Handley comes in and does an essay on the movie, the theatrical movie, which was really genius. He suggested it to me. I wasn't going to have it in the book, but I realized that since there was only 17 episodes in first season that to flesh out the book a little bit more and give people their money's worth, we, we talked about the movie. But my my essay about high diddle riddle is about a father and son and their reactions in 1966 to that episode. Ed Cato does a very similar thing where he, he has a fictional account of his own father talking about the final episode of the show Hmm. And that wasn't planned, but it, it kind of just happened that way. So I have more or less a fictional father and son, and Ed has his real-life father and his real-life self, but has a fictional account. Uh, it's He's doing it as if he found some writings of his father from back in 1966, but th- that's – that's you know ed himself wrote that but he put his own he put himself in the mindset of his father at that time and it's a really really great insight and and look uh at that time and again how an adult would have looked at the show at that time as well as the reactions of a child so there's this whole thing about fathers and sons that begins the book and and wraps up the book and and i really love that it's perfect Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, and I mean, that, you know, I, I think that's perfect for Batman because I think one thing that, you know, and, and some people like to see Batman and Robin as more of a big brother, little brother, but I've always looked at them more as like a father son type, uh, you know. Situation. Oh, they're, they're absolutely, that's, it's absolutely that. Um, there's an essay in Gotham City 14 Miles specifically about uh, overall how Robin is treated in the show and about how 
Batman every single episode is, is teaching Robin how many lessons, how many uh, times does he uh, point something out uh, to Robin and, and is constantly teaching him. Um, and, and it's a really wonderful thing. You know, uh, Dick Grayson is Bruce Wayne's ward, but we all know that that essentially means that he is his son. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm, I, 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 it's, it's wonderful how that worked out with the that being the the bookends on that. So, when you were reading these essays, did did they make you reconsider any aspects of the show, like the actors, the characters, the stories, anything like that? You know, nothing is really standing standing out uh, here. But here, you want a good example? Your your essay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, that was something that I hadn't really thought about, you know, and I hope this is intriguing people <laughs> enough to pick up the book and find out what the hell we're talking about, but <laughs> but yeah, your your hook is 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 again, very unique. It's not something that I really thought about before, but it's sort of like once seen cannot be unseen, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it is. <laughs> it's the it's the glory of of having these crisp, clean Blu-rays of the show, you know, and things that maybe were never meant to be seen. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, um, you know, the like stain marks on costumes. <laughs> right. Um, um, I, I almost hate to watch my beloved Star Trek from the 60s because every little mark on things you can see now. Right. Um there, there's an episode where I think it's Chekhov get, or somebody gets thrown up against a wall and then they get the person off the wall and they're still standing there. But you can see big marks on the wall where the yeah. person, whatever, something, you know, stains or, or this or that. And it was never meant to be, you know, seen like that. I don't need to see every poor on Leonard Nimoy's face, you know, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it is really unfortunate. And it's the same with Batman as you. So, you know, ably point out in your essay. Well, you know, it's like the, the big one on Star Trek that always gets me. And it's, and I think it's something we all kind of noticed when we first watched it. But now that it's in like HD and, and the, the fight between, between Khan and Kirk in space seat and the <laughs> engineering. Yeah. Who are these people? You know, who, who right. are these people? It is so obvious that it's stunt men that look in no way like a, a William Shatner or a Carter Montalban that, that, you know, and it's so unfortunate because that is such an iconic matchup that, that will have such resonance thanks to Star Trek too, which, yeah. uh, you know, by all accounts is, you know, the greatest of Star Trek movies. So, uh, you know, well, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate now that you, you got, it's like, I know it was, it had nothing probably to do with, with, you know, the danger or anything. It had to do with like second unit was shooting this while that first unit was shooting them <laughs> sitting around the conference table or something, you know? And yeah. it's, so it's just unfortunate. So. <laughs> it's, well, it's the same with, with Batman and Robin. Thankfully, most times you, you don't really notice the stunt person playing batman because right. of the mask yeah robin is a whole nother thing <laughs> victor, victor paul is receding hairline yeah <laughs> yeah he's receding hairline and he's obviously much older right. than burt ward's you know 21 years old you yeah. know yeah. yeah that's it's 
it can be very, very un- unfortunate, you know, and it's, you just kind of got to look, you got to do one of two things. You got to look the other way or you just have to accept it as another zany part of the show. Right. You know, right. You know, it's worse kind of, all. Yeah. It's kind of funny now that, um, you know, recently on, on me TV, they, they, they had, they're not right now, but they were showing the wild, wild west. And I was really super impressed watching it again as an adult how much, how many of the stunts that Robert Conrad did, I mean, he clearly, that's him in the camera almost every time doing some pretty dangerous stuff. But I, you know, by all accounts, he recently lost him, but all accounts, he was kind of a daredevil, manly man. So, you know, it's just, uh, well, those Battle of the Network Stars episodes will tell you that, right? So, (laughs) well, right. Well, here, let's head back into Batman territory. Let's talk about Yvonne Craig. And Batgirl. Yeah. Yeah. She, that's, that's mostly her, Mm -hmm. you know, because she was a dancer, you know, the, all the kicks and the jumping and the swinging and the leaping and everything. That's, that's pretty much, uh, her, you know, uh, you got to get to the extent of the, um, the, uh, horse race episode with Penguin and, and Lola Lasagna, yeah. you know, where it's, it's a man, <laughs> you know, in the Batgirl costume because she, because it had to be on a, a horse r- running very fast, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, I give, uh, Yvonne a lot of, you know, credit, um, uh, for bringing all of her dancing experience, you know, to that role and really getting to do, I think more of the fight scenes than probably adam or bert ever did (laughs) yeah that's true i mean it wasn't just in close-up it was like the whole like you said the whole the whole fight scene it was it was all her and yeah but it's super noticeable because i i don't know if you know uh for most uh straight males that that uh that grew up watching batman 66 you were she was one of the first uh women that you realized oh that's the difference between a boy and a girl you know (laughs) (laughs) seminal in uh in, yes. in in the development of many uh many straight fans of the that that yeah. that enjoy the female figure and and I'm sure you know, of, of the other persuasion as well so yes yeah, so. you, you know what's you know what's funny without getting too deep into this but you know what's funny is is that I didn't have a crush on her I I oh, I, really? I I as we said I looked forward to Batgirl being on the show because it was another superhero you know, and and she was cool and all of that, but um, I think like probably my first TV crush was Penny Robinson. <laughs> mm, okay. And, uh, yeah, and uh, and and then I don't know if it's strangely enough, um, uh, Marianne on on uh, Gilligan's oh, Island. No, I get not, that one. I get that one completely. Not yeah. not Ginger. Ginger scared the crap out of me. <laughs> She was too much. She was too much woman for 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 a small child. Yeah, no, it was Marianne. It was the girl next door kind of a thing, and and it's the same thing with with Penny Robinson too. Right, I totally get that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Marianne. I'm Camp Marianne all the way. You know, so yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so now did. Just did your opinion on the first season overall change after by by going through this and editing the the essays and reading them as they came through and then putting the book together? Did your did your opinion on the season one as it stood by itself? Did it change any? No, because I was already 
a huge advocate of season one. Season one, let's just let's say like the first half of season one. That's where I, I that's the ones where I say to people never really watch the show or don't really have any idea. You you sit and watch these maybe like first six, seven, eight episodes and the they're just the writing is right on. Uh, there's more serious moments than I think most people realize. Mm-hmm. It, it's an incredible portrayal of the character. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and it's a comic book come to life. Uh, no, I was already, you know, an immense fan of the, of those early episodes. Um, I, I'll tell you truthfully, um, and, and second season, you know, has got so much good going on. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I grow to love season three a little bit more after all the essays you know, come back in. We're only now just starting to work on the book two or season two. It's going to be another year or so before we get into book three, but that's what I'm really looking forward to because um, I'm going to urge every, all the writers uh, for the season three essays to, to, you know, try not to knee jerk, rip, rip it apart to, to actually look for value Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in those episodes, um, I'm, I, at this moment, I'm playing around with the idea of taking the, what is considered by many to be the most loathed episode of, of Batman. And I think I might actually take that on, uh, myself in, in season three. Is uh, you want to take a guess? Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> do you want to take a guess? You, you already knew where I was going. Well, I'm going to take it. Listen, I'm going to take it because I don't think anybody else would <laughs> would take it. I took but that bullet from I, John S. Drew on the Batcave podcast, so <laughs> I already have an I have an idea of of how to approach it, but it's it's pretty wretched. Yeah, it it really it it's, it, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. But trivia trivia alert. Um, uh, Nora Clavicle is one of the very few villains who is still with us. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's... Yeah. And people don't remember or, or realize that it's, it's her and, uh, and as far as female, the villainess is, it's her, Joan Collins, uh, Glynis Johns and Julie. Yeah. Julie Newmark. Yeah. That of, of the, of headlining female villains um that that are still with us and 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 i you know and i should say this and and because i love her so much lee merriweather of course right right yes of course Uh, you know it's it's kind of interesting it it'll be it'll be nice if if because i feel like in in star trek circles season three of star trek's kind of come around to where like people are a lot more appreciative of it like you know it used to be you're like 20 years ago 30 years ago when you read a star trek book it was like a book on Star Trek, it was like, oh yeah, season three is a real dog, you know, or something. But you know, the, yeah. you know, now the the Fred Freeburger season, you know, or uh, Freiburger, or however you pronounce it. But but uh, and now I feel like some people are like, hey, you know, there are some really good ep- the Tholian Web, Spectre of the Gun, you know, there's some really good, oh. there's some really good episodes, uh, you know, in, yeah, in season I, three. So 
Yeah. I can't agree with the with the whole season three thing with with Star Trek. I have always liked season three. There's a lot of good stuff going on there. Yeah. Um I I've never never, you know, been in that camp to to tear down uh that season. Uh Spock's brain notwithstanding. Um but <laughs> listen, hey, I've always said this. Um um you can never say that to anything to me about season three without addressing the Lazarus episode. Oh, <laughs> whatever the hell that, whatever the hell that's called. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Alternative I, I, factor. I wipe, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, that's that horrible. is just, that's horrible. It's yeah. just so bad. Um, you know, I mean, that makes Nora clavicle almost look good. Uh, that, that episode is, is, uh, I, I honestly, now that you say that really, I mean, everybody, nobody would ever, you know, uh, you know, through the, through the years and Star Trek episode guys, no one ever put a season one episode in the, in the bottom. But honestly, I think every episode in season three is better than the alternative factor. I, I, yeah. I, I agree completely. Yeah. It is a, it is, I, I, I still don't understand that episode. I, I you know, I, no. I, I, it, it was a, a nightmare that they, you know, they recast the actor at the last minute and this interracial yeah. couple thing uh, was thrown out because of network skittishness and, and all this yeah. and that. And, and uh, you know, so it, it was a, I told it's, it's like the Superman four of, of, uh, uh, <laughs> of Star Trek episodes. We were going to do well, this and then everything changed when everybody got to the set, you know, basically. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to issue this challenge to, to your listeners. You, you got one challenge from me, which is to go back and, and, and tell me that the uh, Batman comics, before 66 were not goofy uh now the other challenge is is explain to me just what the hell is going on in that it's an alternative factor (laughs) please somebody tell me what's going on yeah it's it's a it is a mess so yeah so now yeah it really is a mess yeah you you said now you I, i will say that in the i did read your foreword uh, to the book to to Zlong Zog Zowie, but and you said it took you ten years to return to Gotham, uh, and you joke in the introduction the sequel is coming in twenty thirty, but that's not quite <laughs> true. So so when when can we expect a volume two on season two to to, to, well, to come out? You know what, Th- things happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this this book almost didn't happen. Um, uh, it was delayed for a while because of some very unfortunate circumstances. And, uh, I, I, you know, I never discount the, you know, the, those sorts of things. If, if all goes well, it, um, it's Biff, it's shoot. I've already forgotten my own next title. Wait, Oh, it's Biff Bam E Yow. <laughs> Biff Bam E Yow um, should come out uh, early next year, early 2021. Um, and then I'm going to say, you know, by the end of 2021, if all goes well, crossing fingers again. Uh, and that we don't have another pandemic, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. actually that shouldn't hold up anything because this book is, you know, these books have been t- entirely done online and separate. You know, we don't, we don't need to be around each other, but, right, right. um, <laughs> right. Um, but everybody's got to be safe and healthy and not, you know, poverty stricken also. Um, right. if all, if that all goes well, then by the end of, hopefully by the end of 2021. So, you know, there, it might be the final two volumes 
next year. Third volume doesn't have a title yet. I haven't uh, locked that one down yet. Okay, okay. So now I know there's more episodes in Season 2, so that means more writers for Season 2. Can you give us a preview who might be involved in, in the second book? Yeah, yeah. we went up to um, 30. Um, there's actually 29 episodes, but Rich Hanley – uh, is doing another unique thing. He came to me about book one and asked to do the the movie, and I was very glad to let him do that. Uh, it's a very very fun essay. He he asked if he could do the PSAs, the mm. Batman PSAs for book two. So I said, sure. Why not? Nobody else is doing them. <laughs> so that's going to be a fun little bonus, you know, for book two. And uh, this has not been said before, but but he he already put in his request for book three. And uh, I very excitedly uh, uh, gave confirmed that he could. He's going to do an essay on the unaired Batgirl pilot. Oh, wonderful. For three. Yeah. yeah. With a better Batgirl cycle. <laughs> that's that explains why it looks different in the little cartoon that she rides across because it looks like that one (laughs) we we've actually got several of um book ones um writers you know coming back um so i think that people are going to recognize some names yours included Mm, yes (laughs) yes um but I'm really excited about because I needed a lot more writers than that, and uh, you know people people lined up. Um, I'm not going to spoil this, but I have a very prominent. Um, I'll go so far as to say, legendary comic book writer who's who's going to be doing uh, an essay for the book. So very, very, very excited, and some more uh, figures from Batman '66 fandom. Uh, coming in, uh, and I had recently had two very prominent members of Batman sixty six fandom who agreed to come in on book three. Oh, nice! So that, that that's going to be very, very, very fun. Yes, I'm very, very, very excited to for all of this. So, so where can folks find Zlong Zok Zowie to buy it? Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> please and and you know what i'm gonna say what i say every time i talk about any book of mine or a book that i'm involved in and i know people get sick of this probably because we because all of us writers and editors and publishers just do this ad nauseum but it is so important that we get reviews um they're not just ego boosters although that's nice too (laughs) they can be so important for a book because the way amazon works that the more reviews that come in there's certain thresholds that they get um put out there more the the level of exposure that the book gets uh is is because of that um and and then kind of going back to the the ego booster thing the, the more feedback we get – and you know what? I'm not asking for glowing reviews. If you have a glowing review, give it to me. I'll, I'll love it. But if you have a reasoned, um, thoughtful criticism for us, bring it on. Uh, I call that one to grow on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's going to always help not only on future volumes of this series, but all other things that I, you know, work on uh, as a writer, editor, and, and publisher. I get it that people don't have a lot of time, but you know what? You you have the time to read the book. Now take I'm and I'm serious, sixty seconds to write a few words and give us a review on Amazon. Um, hey, was very excited to get the book, got it, read it in one or two sit- sittings, and and just loved it. Everything I hoped it would be. Thanks. You know, could he? I think that Amazon does tell you you have to have so many words for them to publish the review. <laughs> but honestly, whatever that amount of words is 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 nothing. Takes you could take you a, a minute or less to write. Just something, you know. Um, uh, we don't write, edit, and publish in a vacuum. We've got to know what people are thinking about the stuff that we're doing. Um, and, and, and don't just think like, oh, there'll be plenty of other people to, to put up reviews that, that might not be true because every, if everybody's sitting out there saying that same thing, then nobody's going to do reviews. So please, you know, just take a minute, uh, or two minutes if you're really feeling, you know, gracious or, or really feeling, you know, uh, uh, um, that you really want to do this and, and give us a review. It really does help a book. Right. That's great. I, I encourage everyone to do that. And, and I think, I don't think it can be repeated enough. Just like us podcasters always ask for, please leave reviews in iTunes or Apple podcasts yeah. or whatever. It's, it's even yeah. more important, uh, for a book yeah. because, you know, actually, you know, people are trying to, uh, you know, at least partially, if not completely, then partially, you know, make a living off of this. So, um, so yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And you know what? And there's a Facebook page for Gotham City 14 Miles, an official Facebook page. So join us there, you know, give us some feedback there, too. And that page is going to become, the, you know, the official page for, for this three book series also, although it's still going to be called Gotham City 14 Miles. It's definitely going to be the home for any any of the books that I do about Batman 66. Oh, great. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, do you have any other projects that you currently have in the works that you would that you are able to mention to our listeners here? Oh, I I just recently got back up on the horse with my fiction writing again. Uh, I had a lot of things going on in the past year that and that I kind of set it all aside. So, um, I'm working on a novel right now. Uh, it is top secret. I can't I can't reveal anything about it, but I'm working on a new novel. Uh, right now, and uh, I just got invited to contribute a story to uh, a fiction anthology. Uh, that'll be the next thing I do. And I'm starting to kind of look back on some older projects and trying to um, refresh them and and maybe put them back out there to to do a few things differently. Uh, with them or or things that were published in certain ways but never really you know as a as a book or an ebook so um i i've got a lot going on i've got a whole slate of novels that had been put aside for the last couple of years that i that i now want to get to and uh and and some more nonfiction. there's another famous 60s TV series that it, again, if all goes well, that um, this coming year um, I will be doing 
uh, an essay anthology with a with several writers uh, talking about this TV show, and I don't want to spoil that one because this this show has not been done like this ever before, Ooh. like what we've done with Batman sixty six. Oh, very exciting! Very exciting. Well, we'll have to we'll have to you have to keep us posted. So, where can where can folks find you online to, to follow you? On social media, yeah. Um, the the on Facebook, I'm at the the beard, the Jim Beard fan page. You can find me there. Um, make sure that you, you know, follow my Amazon author page. Just go to Amazon under books and put my name in, and uh, that'll come up. And you know, you can do that thing where any new listings you'll get notified. And then uh, if you're a Twitter person, I'm on Twitter, um, and that's at writer Jim Beard, and that's all one word, writer Jim Beard. I I don't twit or tweet <laughs> as much as I as I should. Um, I'm more of a Facebook person, but but I've been trying to do more tweets. Um, I I probably don't use Twitter the way it's supposed to be used. You know, I use Facebook more, but um, but I am trying to do uh, more. You're at the very least, you're always going to get inundated with my my projects. You know, on on Twitter. So um, I'm literally just coming just coming up on a thousand followers. Woohoo! Oh, nice, very nice. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I am. Don't feel bad. I I don't feel like I use Twitter properly either. I'm much more of a Facebook guy. And I know the other fire and water guys are kind of like, Oh, well, like Chris just like liked and tweeted everything we did in the past month. Cause he put a new episode out. So that's basically, uh, what, that's basically how that works. So, <laughs> so don't feel it, bad. <laughs> it took me, uh, it took me a while to, to start to start to figure out how Twitter worked. Cause I was using it like Facebook, right? You know, yeah. Um, and then I realized, oh, Twitter is for when you want to act. You can actually talk right to your like celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's I know there's more to it than that, you know, but but it's funny. That is the way to do it. Like, forget Facebook, you know, for as far as that goes. But, you know, I can't tell you like how many times that I've uh, uh, tweeted at a celebrity and I've gotten at the very least a like. You know, if yeah. not a actual response or, you know, a, a, a retweet or, or, or whatever. I mean, that's the way to do it. It's it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, we mentioned you're on John S. Drew's Batcave podcast. So what other podcast can folks listen to you on? Yeah, um, I have my own uh, a weekly one called Comic Chaos the Comic Chaos Podcast. You can find us anywhere that, you know, has podcasts, iTunes and, and uh, what's that one called? Not not Squeaker. Um, Stitcher. Stitcher, yeah, or Spreaker or whatever. You can find it all over. But just put in Comic Chaos Podcast, and it's me and uh, Fred Lefevre, and uh, we do a weekly look at all things uh, pop culture uh, including comic books occasionally. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, uh, and then the other one would be the Batcave podcast. Uh, and you mentioned it already. John and I are currently examining chapter by chapter, the 1943 Batman serial. And when we're done, we'll go on to the 1949 Batman and Robin, uh, serial. 
Mm, that does those are a lot of fun that's that I, i'm excited i've been i've been catching up on those and uh yeah those are uh <laughs> that's uh, kind of the the seeds of, of of batman 66 in a lot of ways but it's uh it's it's a different take when you see batman and robin pull their costumes out of a file cabinet but you know so <laughs> right 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 <laughs> But I love it, yeah. Well, thanks, Jim, for stopping by to talk as long as Zach Zowie. I've said it right every time, I think. Uh, and uh, once again, for letting me play in my favorite sandbox and write about my favorite characters, I, I, I mean, I personally consider it a privilege and an honor to be included in such a fine group of creators and you being chief among them. And I, I just can't thank you enough. I, it's just, uh, I have to pinch myself to say, how did I get in this book? But I appreciate it. So. <laughs> Oh, I, it's, it's been a pleasure having you in there and I'm really looking forward to the, to the next one that you, you do. So, um, thanks for, um, well, thanks for your patience <laughs> with as long as it took to, to get to this point, but you know what? It's out. Um, I'm, I'm proud of it. You know, um, I'm so happy with the way it looks. Uh, the, the cover is exactly the way I wanted it. And, uh, and uh, now, now we just have to find out if anybody's enjoying the book at all because nobody's saying nothing. It ha- it hasn't been quite a week yet at, at the re- at this time of the recording of it, but uh, we'll we'll get there. Hopefully, people will like it and tell us. Well, we're spreading the word, so that's we're doing. We're we're spreading the word here, and I know you're spreading it elsewhere, and and we're getting it out there, and and uh, you know, people, we got you know, and and. Unfortunately, a lot of folks have got a lot of lot of a lot of time on their hands and and to stay safe and stay home and you know cuddle up with a good book on 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 Batman sixty six. If you're a Batman fan, I I I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I think it's it's whether you get the physical copy or the Kindle copy or whatever. I think uh, I think you're going to enjoy the book and. Uh, and uh, you know, definitely come back and and uh, you know find Jim on social media and tell him. Leave a comment on this episode on FireWaterPodcast dot com. Uh, I want to th- uh, give a shout out to our Patreon supporters uh, for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can visit Patreon dot com slash FW Podcast. Again, Jim, thank you. Good luck with the book. Good luck with with everything moving forward. We'll have to get together and talk again. I had a blast talking to you about this and all the other tangents we went on and and it was just <laughs> it was wonderful i i, I really enjoyed hey, it. that's what life's all about that's right it is <laughs> yeah go off on tangents <laughs> so take care citizens and we'll meet again on fw presents random pod time but same podcatcher bye bye-bye holy memoranda folks make a note not to miss it Good thinking, Robin.